you have your Bible, you can go ahead and open it up to Psalm 78. Psalm 78, that's where we're going to be today. Um, This is week two of our five-week sermon series that we call Make Him Known. Uh, We have spent the month of September talking about knowing Christ. We're focused in the month of October on making Him known. And uh, we've said all along that knowing Christ and making him known is the mission of our church. It's, it's the mission of our lives individually. It's why we're here. It's why if you're a believer in Christ, it's why you're here to know Christ and to make him known. Um, over the past several weeks, we've been diving deeper into what it means to be a church full of people who know Christ and make him known. We've been looking at several different characteristics of a wholehearted disciple of Jesus Christ that we want to, um, that really describe how we want to know him and make him known. And uh, today I want to talk to you about making him known generationally. That's the focus for today, making him known generationally. Now, um, today is my oldest daughter's birthday. My daughter Reagan is 14 years old today. This is crazy to me that, uh, that this is how old she is. So when she was born, we had a friend of ours who gave us this uh, little handmade plaque. And on it, it has her little baby footprints. And it says the words, I'll follow your lead, daddy. Now that right there. That's right, Dave. Oh, every time I see this thing, it just like hits me in the heart because, you know, any Christian father understands this. We know that our kids are going to learn from our example. And the example that I want to set to my children is that they would be pointed to Christ. Right? And uh, I know that that many of you understand my heart there. We want to see generations follow Jesus long after we're gone. Um, We're going to read about this from Psalm 78, and I want to preach about it from Psalm 78. Um, But before we look at Psalm 78, I want to have a little fun as a congregation, okay? Um, It helps us understand this particular psalm and, uh, you know, these types of psalms that we're looking at. So uh, I'm going to lead us in a little bit of congregational singing, okay? This is very risky. I need everyone to be unhindered and join in with me, okay? So I'm going to start out by singing a line, and I need you guys to complete the line. Yes, I see your raised eyebrows. You're wondering how this is going to go. I'm also wondering how this is going to go. All right, here we go. You guys can finish the line here. Ready? Head, shoulders, knees in. Uh, okay, thank <laughs> you. That was great. You got that was like you guys were robust in that. I love it. Okay. Um, how about this one? Um, and on his farm he had a cow with a. I totally, I've done that before. I just want to see who's going to do the moo-moos. Like, that's all that is. <laughs> Some of you guys were all in on the moo-moos. I love it. All right. Now, here's the thing. All right. These are teaching songs, right? We teach, we, we use songs to teach and reiterate facts and, and truths to our children, all right? Now, um, what I, if you have your Bible open, I want you to look at Psalm 78, and right at the very top of the line, there's probably a little header that says, these words, a maskil of Asaph, a maskil of Asaph. Now, the word maskil comes from the, the Hebrew root word sakal, which means to have insight or to teach. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is, is so that you know that Psalm 78 is a maskil. It's a teaching song, all right? Um, how many of you guys like me, you grew up in Sunday school in your church, all right? You grew up in Sunday school, most of us, a lot of us. Um, you probably were taught Sunday school songs that you now uh, can sing and repeat the lines, right? Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham, and I am, and so are you. All right, right, 
right arm, left arm. Okay, I, I still don't understand why we do the right arm, left arm, right foot, left foot thing. Uh, but I do get the Father Abraham idea and us being one of his sons, right? That comes from the theology of the book of Galatians and each of us being uh, part of God's promise to raise up a future generation, a, a line of, of, of descendants from Abraham who would know God and be a blessing to the world. Like we are living that out right now. Um, you guys, we all learned fun songs that, you know, we probably still teach our children to this day. Uh, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, whoa. Let my people go. Okay, so that you guys weren't quite so robust on that. Okay, so yeah. Um, these are all math skills, all right? These are teaching songs uh, so that we can help the next generation know and remember uh, the truths about God. Now, that's what Psalm 78 is, okay? Anytime you see a math skill in the book of Psalms, you know this is a teaching song. And so I want to read Psalm 78. We're not going to read all... Uh, you know, 72 verses, uh, but we are going to read verses 1 through 8. Um, and so this is what the word of the Lord says. Psalm 78, verse 1 through 8. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell them to the coming generation, the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might, and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded to our fathers to teach their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen? Now, let's get into Psalm 78. And as we do, um, again, we're talking about becoming wholehearted disciples of Jesus Christ who know him and make him known. And the big idea from Psalm 78 that I want you to take home today is this. To be a wholehearted disciple of Jesus, you must make him known generationally. To be a wholehearted disciple of Jesus, you must make him known generationally. And Sarah, I think I got out of line on my slides, but you can keep up with me because you got mad skills. Uh, not math skills, mad skills. You might have math skills also, okay. Um, Psalm 78, you know, as we look at this, we're gonna answer our three questions that we've been answering, you know, every week in our sermon series. Um, what does it mean to follow Jesus and make him known generationally? Uh, why is it important? And then how are we going to pursue it, both individually and collectively as a church? So that's where we're going, and I want to just get right into it, all right? Making him known generationally, what does it mean? What does it mean? Here's the definition. When we talk about making him known generationally, we mean personally helping the younger generation know God so that they do the same for the next generation, all right? Personally helping the next generation know God so that they do the same for the next generation. So this is the clear command from Psalm 78, especially in verse four and five, where it says, we will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord. He goes on in verse five, says that God established a testimony in Jacob, appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children. Right? So the writer says that one generation is to tell the coming generation. The word generation in the Hebrew language is the word 
uh, door. And it, it really, it's talking about people who are alive during a certain period of time, right? So uh, Gen, Gen X is supposed to teach the millennials. The millennials are going to teach, you know, the whatever comes after the millennial generation. I don't know what, you're, what the name is. But the whole point is that, you know, um, that we as believers, you know, we want to teach the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord. And guys, this is just repeated throughout Scripture. I just wrote down a handful of verses that uh, really re-emphasize the importance of one generation teaching the next. So let me just read some of these to you. If you want to jot down a few of them, that's great. There's no way you'll be able to capture all of them. But just some Scriptures that emphasize this, right? Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 and 7. What I command you today will be on your heart. You shall teach them to your children. Talk of them when you sit down in your house, and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. Psalm 71, verse 18. God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation. Psalm 145, verse 4. One generation shall commend your works to another. Proverbs 22, 6. Raise up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. Joel, chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. Hear this, give ear, you elders, give ear, inhabitants of the land. Tell your ch- children of this, and let your children tell their children and their children to another generation. What do we see in Matthew 19, verses 13 through 15? The disciples were trying to keep the children away for a time. Jesus says, no, let the little children come to me. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Fathers, bring your children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Titus chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Older women, Teach the younger women what is good, and so train them, right? So this is the uh, repeated theme throughout Scripture from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Believers are told to teach the next generation to know the Lord. This is not just explicitly stated in Scripture, but it's also described with the characters of Scripture, right? Abraham taught Isaac. Isaac taught Jacob. Moses learned from his father, Je- father-in-law Jethro. Samuel learned from Eli. Uh, Ruth learned from Naomi. Timothy had a Paul, right? Jesus had disciples who were younger than him. And in fact, you know, so has been the case for 2,000 years of church history. The fact that you and I are following Jesus today is probably because somebody in the older generation before us taught us about the deeds of the Lord and the importance of following him. So I wonder for you, who taught you? You know, who's somebody who invested in you? I remember my Sunday school teacher, Verna Hemingway, Talk about a Baptist, you know, Sunday school teacher named Verna Hemingway, man. She taught me. She taught me when I was young. Even through high school, she encouraged me. When I came off and went to college, she would write me these little notes. I always remember them because she always started her notes to me. Yo, freak. And and just because she kind of embraced this idea of us as we get older, like, become a Jesus freak, you know? That was kind of a cool slogan back then. And like, live for the Lord, even if it makes you weird in the eyes of the world, you know? And she would always encourage me with that. You know, just this past week, uh, my 14-year-old daughter, Reagan, you know, she was taken out to Panera by uh, her small group leader for, you know, in the youth ministry, and they could talk about spiritual things together. You know, to me, what is that? That's generational disciple-making, right? Making him known generationally means personally helping the younger generation know God so that they do the same thing for the next generation. Now, with that being said and all of us having the same definition in mind, let's talk about why this is important. And just like every other message, there are loads of reasons why this is important, and I just want to highlight two that are specifically from 
Psalm 78. Here's the first of two reasons why it's important to make him known generationally. Here it is. Because teaching younger generations during our lifetime affects future generations after our lifetime. Teaching younger generations during our lifetime affects future generations after our lifetime. Right in verse in Psalm 78, verse 5, the scripture says, God commanded the fathers to teach their children. Why? Verse 6 says, so that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children. All right, now, um, it says, so that the next generation might know them. Well, what's the, the them, right? What is the them? It's, it's the things that he just mentioned in verse 5. It's, it's the testimony of Jacob. It's the law in Israel. Guys, what's the testimony of Jacob? What's the law of Israel? The testimony of Jacob is the written record of things. The, the law of Israel is the law that God gave to Moses, right? The, the Pentateuch, the written scriptures. I, I just want to make it very clear. God wants the present generation to not just teach about God generally, but to teach them God's word specifically, right? This is what our responsibility is as the older generation, to teach the younger generation the truth of God's word. And as you can see in our text, this has ripple effects, you know, at least three generations down, right? So, so we teach the next generation. They teach, according to verse 6, the children yet unborn, so that they can teach their own children. Right? So teaching children during our lifetime affects children after our lifetime. Um, years ago, I read this book. I've mentioned this before, but I want to reiterate it again. I read this book called Good Christians, Good Husbands? Question mark. Um, and this book really evaluates the lives of three different uh, kind of famous Christian men who have now died and gone on to be with the Lord. Uh, it evaluates the life of John Wesley, um, It evaluates George Whitfield and also Jonathan Edwards. And it was fascinating to see the way that these guys led their ministries, how they carried out their life, but also how they led their families. And that's what's focused in here. It was the life of Jonathan Edwards that caught my attention the most. Jonathan Edwards was a Puritan preacher in the 1700s. Um, I think he was one of the greatest theologians that, you know, we've ever had in America, um, he uh, was incredibly influential, not a perfect man. I don't want to, you know, paint a false picture here, but, you know, he, um, he wasn't a perfect man. In fact, he, his wife wrote a small little booklet, and here's what she titled it, Marriage to a Difficult Man, <laughs> right? right? And uh, I'm sure my wife, Rachel, could write that same one. But, you know, there's this description in there about their family dynamics, and I just want to read some of this to you. Sometimes Jonathan Edwards would rise at 3 a.m. He would be in his study for 15 to 16 hours a day studying God's word. Meanwhile, Sarah, his wife, is out caring for their 11 children, okay? All while hubby's in the, in the office, right? Uh, three boys, eight girls they had. Nevertheless, despite their commitment to those things, the story goes that it was, it was regular custom for them to take two hours almost every night to have focused time with their children. Um, no studying, no preaching for Jonathan Edwards, no, no cooking, no cleaning, no, no uh, caring for the poor, which was part of Sarah Edwards' life. Just two hours, spending time with the kids. Here's the thing. That was in the 1700s. 
in 1900, <clears throat> about uh, 150 years after Jonathan Edwards' life, there was a Christian author named A.E. Winship. He's an American educator and, and a pastor. He took it upon himself to kind of track the generational line of Jonathan Edwards and see what happens. And here's what he found out. More than 100 of Jonathan Edwards' children and grandchildren, more than 100 became lawyers, 30 became judges. 13 became college presidents, and over 100 have become college professors. More than 60 have been authors or editors with over 100 published works. 60 have become physicians or medical workers. More than 75 became army, naval, or military officers. More than 80 of, the, of his grandchildren were elected to public office. Over 100 were missionaries and Christian teachers or professors. And over 100 were pastors or church ministry workers. Guys, countless family members, no matter what their vocation was, committed to serving the Lord, several of them without any notoriety, including, as the generational lines went down, uh, including a girl that I know personally who lives in this area who is passionate about loving and serving the Lord, and she's a friend of mine to this day living for Christ. She is the seventh generation granddaughter from Jonathan Edwards. Isn't that interesting? 250 years after his life, there are still generations of his family following Jesus. Guys, it is important to make him known generationally. Why? Because it affects children after our lifetime. Do you have a vision for that in your life? Do you have a vision for that in your life? That's one of the reasons the text gives us on why it's important to make him known generationally. Here's a second reason. Here's a second reason. It's because if we want the next generation to trust who God is, then they must remember what he has done. If we want the next generation to trust who God is, then they must know and remember what he has done. Again, verse 7 and 8 emphasize this. We teach the next generation, verse 7 says, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. And that they should not be like their fathers, the stubborn and rebellious generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. So, at the end of verse 8 here, we see that the psalmist is giving like a warning about how we want to learn lessons from the past, from previous generations of God's people who did not follow him. We read it here in verse 8, but remember this is like a 72 verse chapter. And if you read the rest of the chapter, you start to see, all right, there are these mighty works that God had done on behalf of his people. You read about these, you, you can read just scan through chapter 78. God sent plagues on Egypt, right? So that Egypt would, would eventually release them from slavery. Um, he parted the Red Sea. He provided uh, bread and manna from heaven and, and water from a rock while they were wandering in the wilderness. As he, they were wandering through the wilderness, Psalm 78 says, hey, remember when God sent the pillar of fire by night and the cloud by day to, to guide you where you should go as you were wandering through the desert? He eventually talks in Psalm 78 about how God led them to the promised land, defeated all their enemies, and established them into their own tribes, right? These are all the things that God wanted the people of Israel to remember about the previous generations. But this chapter is telling us there was a generation who forgot. God had done all these things, but there was a generation who just disregarded and let those things go. And this, 
I want to make it very clear to us today. When the scriptures talk about a generation who forgot, this is not talking about just kind of a momentary lapse of memory. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. This is talking about an ongoing rejection of responsibility, an ongoing stubbornness and rebelliousness, a, a, an unfaithful heart, an unfaithful spirit to the Lord. That's not just a, some ancestors having a couple bad days. Right? This is, we all have bad days like that. Like God knows we all fail. We all have moments where we don't lead our families well. We don't teach them the truths of the Lord the way that we should. We momentarily get distracted by the things of the world. But this is an entire generation of people who just hardened their hearts against God and did not teach their children, right? Verse uh, 11 talks about this generation, that they forgot the mighty works of the Lord and the goodness of God. Verse 18 um, talks about how they tested the Lord and they, they demanded the foods that they craved and the things that they used to have back in Egypt, right? Like, you know you're getting into a bad spot with God when you're putting him to the test, when, when you're, you're demanding things from God as if you are over him. Right? You keep reading verses uh, 56 through 54, and you can see that the tribes kept rebelling even when they got to the promised land, right? God kept the promise and brought them to the promised land. They still tested God, and it ended up with violence and tragedy, and God's judgment and wrath was, was poured out on them. Guys, I want, here's what I want you to catch this. This was Israel, right? This was Israel, God's chosen people who he had worked miracles on their behalf in the past, and yet the people who once walked so close to God quickly strayed so far from him. Once they had forgotten what he had done, they stopped trusting in who he was. Guys, the same thing could be so true for our generation and for our children's generation. The same thing could happen so quickly to us. Right? None of us want our children to grow up and just rebel against God, forget about him, reject them in their hearts, harden their hearts to him. We don't want them to buy into the lies of the culture and start following the things of the world. But if we don't teach the next generation to remember God, then they will repeat rebellion against him. This is a serious thing for us as a church. Like, my heart is burdened by this with my children. My heart is burdened for the children who are down in our U Kids classes right now and the students who will be gathered tonight in our student ministry. Verse 7 says that God's heart is that the next generation would set their hope in Him. Set their hope in Him. Guys, this is... Uh, this is our heart's desire for the future generations, that our kids would set their hope in God. And I've said this before, but again, I want to keep reiterating this. You know, the way the Bible talks about hope is so much different than the way we talk about hope. When the Bible talks about hope, it, it doesn't mean wishful thinking. And we use hope in the wishful thinking way, like, oh, you know, uh, college students, oh, I hope such and such asks me out, right? It might happen, it might not, right? Um, those of you who are in school or whatever, I, I hope I pass my exam this week, okay. Uh, some of you right now are like, I hope Jason doesn't preach for an hour, right? Like, it's just, it's just wishful thinking. It might happen, but it probably won't, okay? Like, um, that's the cultural view of hope, right? But the biblical hope, the biblical view of hope is so much different. The biblical view of hope is confidence that comes from certainty, right? It's, it's assurance in your heart that something is true. It, when the psalmist talks about hope in, you know, just 
flip back a few chapters in your Bible to Psalm 71, verse 5. It says, you, O Lord, are my hope and my trust, right? You are my hope and my trust. You, you're trustworthy, Lord. That's what the scripture means. That's confidence in God. Biblical hope is not wishful thinking. It's rock-solid confidence in God. And that's what we want for the next generation, right? We want our children to grow up, you know, having rock-solid confidence in God. We want them to stand firm in their faith. We want them to be zealous for the gospel. We want them to take the message of Christ to the nations. We want them to grow up and love the church and serve in the church, not because they're dutiful, you know, responsibilities, but because they love God and they want people to know Him, right? We want our children to cherish the cross of Christ. We want our children to teach their children to do the same thing. We want them to hope in God. We want them to hope in God. But guys, how can they, right? How can they hope in God if they don't know God? How can they hope in God if no one teaches Him? Guys, they won't. They have to be taught the truth. So we must teach them. This generation, you and I, us, we must teach them. It's important that our children know what God has done so that they can trust who He is. Now, let me just take a minute and speak pastorally for a second. I know that as soon as we start talking about training the next generation, for some people in the room, guilt immediately kicks in. Some of us, you know, we didn't have good examples of Christian parents. Or even if we did, we've made major mistakes. And if you're anything like me and Rachel, sometimes you can reflect on your life and you can be like, look, are we ruining our children? Like, and you ask yourselves those deep questions sometimes. Some of you in this room, you've poured yourself the best you know how into your children. And they've still rebelled. You've served in ministry and the kids that you served grew up and went their own way. I want to be very clear to you. This sermon is not, um, here's how you become the perfect family because you can't. This sermon is not, here's how you raise a perfect child because we can't. This sermon is not, here's how you become a perfect mom or a perfect dad or a perfect model mentor Christian for someone else because you can't do that. But here's what is true. Although each and every one of us are imperfect, although each and every one of us are, who have children, we are imperfect parents with imperfect children, but we have a perfect father. And our perfect father sent his perfect son. And the perfect son, Jesus, laid down his life to pay for the sins of imperfect people like me and you and our children who very likely will have rebellious years in their future. And if we trust in the perfect blood of the Son of Jesus, His blood cleanses us from all unrighteousness. So Psalm 78. Right, this, is, this is about a God who is mighty. He has worked mighty acts on behalf of His people. But this psalm isn't just about God's might. This is a, a psalm that also portrays God's grace. And a lot of people miss that in Psalm 78. And I want to point it out to you this morning. Because we don't just need to teach our children about the might of God, we need to teach them about the grace of God. If you still have your Bible open to Psalm 78, let me just point out a few things for you and you can study these deeper on your own as you move forward. Verse 17 through 22 talk about how when God's 
you know, people, they grumbled in the wilderness, they tested God. It, it says his anger arose, yet verse 23 says, yet he commanded the skies above and opened the doors of heaven and he rained down manna on them. And he did that in the midst of their rebellion. Verse 36 and 37 talk about how they flattered God with their tongues, they lied to him with their mouths. He could have killed and destroyed them, but verse 38 says what? Yet he, being compassionate, atoned for their iniquity and did not destroy them. He restrained his anger. This is God's grace. Psalm, you know, ends, the psalm ends with verse 70 through 72, talking about how the Lord provided a shepherd king to Israel, talking about King David, who guided them with an upright heart and a skillful hand. I just want to say, guys, God was gracious toward his people who failed They failed to teach the next generation. They rebelled against him, yet God was gracious and still fulfilled his promise to them. And I want you to know something. If you're a follower of Jesus who's failed, he will be faithful to complete his promise to you as well. He's gracious. He he didn't give up on unfaithful Israel. And he's not going to give up on us. Just as he gave Israel the good shepherd king David, he has given the church, the good shepherd king of Jesus Christ. And we must make our mighty and gracious God known to the next generation. We must make him known generationally. So here's the last question we've got to talk about with our last few minutes here. How can we pursue it? How can we pursue making him known generationally? Again, like always, want to talk about it on the individual level, but also on the collective level as a church. Individually, Here's how we do it. By personally training the children in your home and the children in this church. I want to make this clear to you. Who are the ministers of University Baptist Church? It's not the staff members. It's not the pastors. The ministers are every believer in this church. So if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, the responsibility to make him known to the next generation doesn't just fall on the shoulders of a few paid staff or a few good-hearted volunteers. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the responsibility has fallen on you. It's fallen on you. And it's not just a responsibility. It's a privilege. What a gift that God has given us to make the God of the universe known to children. So parents, how are you doing in your home? How are you doing in your home? Um... I want to encourage every family in this room, if you're not doing this already, to make it a discipline in your home to have family devotions. Some of you have never had a family devotion. Some of you don't know how to do it. I get it. Um, Just ask. Ask me. Ask one of our deacons. Ask one of our staff. We'd love to talk with you about how we lead family devotions in our home. If your children don't have Bibles, get, get them a Bible. Put their name on it. Make it personal for them. Read your Bible, your paper Bible in front of them. Open it up. Show them that this book is set apart. It's a holy Bible. It's different than every other book. It's not like every other app on their phone or any other fictional book that they read online. Like This is a holy book. It's set aside. It's set apart. Parents in the room, make sure your children grow up being an active part of a biblically faithful church. 
And I'll say this. One of my great one of the great things I love is that is that I know my dad's testimony. Parents in the room, do your children know your testimony? Do they know your testimony? Have you shared with them when you were saved and some of the major spiritual markers in your life? Um, so moms and dads, here's the question for moms and dads with children in your home. You know, just what's the next step? I, I've listed some ideas here. I trust the Holy Spirit to put something on your heart. What is the next step you need to take as a parent with children in your home to make him known generationally? Now, some of you who are here, uh, you don't have your own children. And I would just say to you, you know what? If you're in a growth group, if you're in a ministry of our church, love the children that are there. Take an interest in them. Talk to them. Play with them. Go to their events. Remember their birthdays. You know, let the little children come to me, Jesus said. He wanted them, right? Guys, uh, some of you who may not have your own biological children, maybe the Lord will call you to adopt or to do foster care. Maybe the Lord will call that to some of you who do have your own biological children. But I would say this too, making him known generationally is why uh, we ask the church to volunteer in our ministries. Right? When you go to serve in you kids or student ministry, like if, if all you view it as is, oh, I got to fill my monthly responsibility and fill my slot, like you'll just, you'll burn out. You won't really take joy in it. But if you see it as like, this is, this is the way that I am living out my call to be a generational disciple maker, <laughs> that's a whole different mindset. So individually in your home and in this church, Let's train our children. Collectively, what are we going to do as a church to make generational disciples? I want you to know we're going to continue our, you know, we're talking about what the church is going to look like in our future. We're going to continue our current family ministries, but I also want you to know we're going to start a new emphasis on equipping parents and strengthening families. You know, we're going to continue our current ministries to the younger generation, right? You kids, I'm so thankful for our you kids ministry. A couple years ago, we made the shift in our curriculum to now we're teaching the Gospel Project curriculum, right? We, we're teaching them, you know, Noah's Ark wasn't just a fun boat ride with some animals. It was actually an evidence of God's judgment and wrath against sin and how we need great salvation from God to rescue us, right? So I'm glad for our you kids ministry. I'm glad that we're teaching them the narrative of Scripture with a Christ-centered focus. I'm grateful for Awana. I love that my kids are talking to me almost every day about the verses that they're trying to memorize for Awana. I love our student ministry. Recently, our student ministry has been, Rob Slothman, our new youth pastor, has been sharing with the students a personal like challenge to share their faith. And he's given them these little kind of like booklets called uh, the Life Book, right? And we keep hearing these stories about kids who are going to their high school, going to their jobs, going to their soccer teams, and they're handing out these little life books, you know, introducing people to the teachings of Christ. Like, I, I love seeing this from our kids. So we're going to continue our current family ministries, but I do want you to know that we're going to have a focus on strengthening families as we move forward. Some of you guys would probably, if you're anything like me and Rachel, sometimes you have these immediate felt needs, like, how do, I, how do I deal with my kid's anxiety? What do I do if, I'm about to, if I find myself losing my temper regularly? Right? Various things. Like my, my, my spouse and I are having a hard time trusting each other. Like how do we deal with that? There's probably some very specific 
things that you could use some immediate help on. I want you to know that in the coming months, we're gonna be developing our family resource area down in the hallway where there's gonna be quick little biblically-centered booklets where you can grab these things that are going to be you know, based off of specific topics that will be helpful to you and the needs of your family. Some of you guys who are here have marriages that are really hurting. You could use some real solid biblical counsel from a trained counseling professional. I want to let you know, just this past week, I was able to make a great connection with a ministry in this area who is going to be able to start providing really solid biblical counseling um, for, especially for families, uh, marriages in our churches that are in our church that are hurting. Some of you who are, who are here are men who you just didn't have a father who taught you what it was like to lead your family. For me personally, I'm excited to see us start men's groups in this church specifically geared toward teaching men how to shepherd their families. You guys know we're in the Make Him Known campaign and part of that is the expansion of our building. Guys, uh, you know, it would be awesome to have enough space here to be able to do our service times on Sundays at the most optimal hours where people can attend and have enough room for all the kids to come. If you, you know, if you came here at the 9.50 service, you would just see how, how crowded things get with our kids. And so we need more space during our optimal service times. If you come on Sunday nights to Awana, you know that at, like, we have waiting lists for kids wanting to get into Awana. And the reason why is because we just don't have the rooms and the classes to like, expand out and, uh, and bring more people into Awana. Our student ministry is almost full, utilizing UBC East across the street. Uh, I look forward to being able to expand the facilities and not only have more room for our student ministry and for Awana, but also have some extra space on site where we can do classes to strengthen families in our church and marriage, uh, marriage classes and things like that that are geared toward families. So guys, when we hit our Make Him Known goals, by God's grace, we're going to have the funds to not just expand our building, but have the leadership in place to lead and, pr and provide those things. So guys, I'm excited about that. I hope you are as well. Uh, can, you, can you imagine with me a UBC where every home is being led by parents who are equipped to lead solid family devotions? Can you imagine a uh, a UBC where men are walking closely with God and committed to leading their wives and children? Can you imagine a UBC where every child moves out of the elementary and into middle school and high school with an, a working understanding of the full narrative of Scripture and they see how it all points to Jesus? Can you imagine a UBC where our middle schoolers and high schoolers graduate and they go to college equipped with a Christian worldview, knowing and ready to answer the antagonistic questions that they will get from the outside world? Can you imagine a UBC where kids graduate from high school and they're eager to pour back in to the, the elementary and middle school students because somebody here did it for them? Can you imagine a UBC where young people get married and they think to themselves, we've got to find a church that invests in our kids the way that the people from UBC invested in us. Right? I, I can imagine that. I can imagine that future for our church. I hope you can as well. So let's devote ourselves to making him known generationally because teaching younger generations during our lifetime affects future generations after our lifetime. And let's remember that if we want the next generation to trust who God is, 
then they must know what God has done. To be wholehearted disciples of Jesus Christ, we must make him known generationally. Generationally. May my children and your children follow God in this generation and teach the next generation to do the same. And may it be true a thousand generations from now. Right? Father, we, we want to be a church that takes seriously our call to make you known to the coming generation, to teach the next generation the mighty deeds of the Lord. Lord, you are mighty. And you have done great things. And your fame and your glory, we trust one day will cover the earth just like the water covers the sea. But Lord, we, are, we collectively just acknowledge we're, we're so quick to get caught up in other ambitions and other endeavors that are frankly a lot of times just going to mean nothing after this life is over. Lord, I pray that you would let us invest our lives into something that will matter, the next generation of children who will teach the next generation. Lord, I pray that in this service today you would call some parents to start taking serious action in their home uh, towards helping their children know you. I pray that you would compel others in this room to take a step towards volunteering in ministry to help uh, the next generation know you. I pray that you would help uh, some parents in this room Embrace your grace fully, knowing, O oh Lord, that uh, only you can truly change a heart. None of us can do it. Despite our most diligent efforts in training and raising up our children, Lord, only you can change their hearts. So, Lord, we entrust you. Um, we trust you with the hearts of our children. Lord, I pray that you would make UBC a church that takes seriously the call to make you known to the next generation. For ages and ages to come, may it be so. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.